You're listening to Fresh Ideas for Teaching. Hi, everyone. This is Walter. The Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast is presented by Savas Learning Company. Welcome to our Moving Learning Forward series, where we'll be exploring important trends in the world of education and talking to experts who can offer the latest insights on personalized learning, student engagement, and maximizing your educational technology. I'm here with my colleague, Jill Backman, marketing manager at Savas Learning and editor for both our Savas Insights and Science of Reading Simplified blog series. Jill, who do we have as our special guest today? Thanks, Walter. I'm so happy to be joined today by Zachary Champagne, elementary math teacher and math coach at the Discovery School in Jacksonville, Florida, and an esteemed author on our Envision Mathematics curriculum. Among his many achievements, Zach received the Presidential Award for Excellence in Mathematics and Science Teaching, the Duval County Teacher of the Year Award, and was a finalist for Florida Teacher of the Year. Welcome, Zach. Nice to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Jill. Thanks, Walter. I am humbled and excited to be here. Well, since summer is coming soon and it's already here for some schools, we're going to talk about some ways we can engage students in their math learning this summer. But before we do that, we want to talk a little bit about you. So, Zach, you've been involved in math education for over 20 years, and you spent six years as a math education researcher. But as we're recording this, you've just wrapped up teaching another year of elementary school students. What made you get back into the classroom? I think so. This is my favorite question, but I just I just want to start by acknowledging the fact that um, I, like so many of my colleagues, I just finished my 24th year uh, as an educator. And I just want to first acknowledge how incredibly challenging, but also incredibly re- rewarding this job is. Uh, and I just want to spend a, uh, send a special bit of love out to my colleagues who also are just finishing or have finished what was likely a very challenging school year as well. Um, Look, I love this job. I love being around and learning with and from young people. That's just who I am. It's taken me this long in the education field to to learn that about myself, um, to figure out that my best space is to be in front of young people. Um, And so that's the short version of of why I returned to the classroom. The longer version of that story is um, I began my career teaching in Duval County in public schools, and I taught for 13 years. Um, before I left to work as a researcher at the Florida Center for Research in Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics, uh, which is housed at uh, Florida State University. So I was hired um, as a non-tenure track faculty member um, who was working 100% on research. And we were, you know, the short version of the story is we were looking at how our youngest students, like ages three through seven, come to know mathematics, right? Like that's as broad as we can go. It was, there's a lot of like rabbit holes we went down, but that's kind of the, the gist of what we were doing. Um, I spent six years doing that work, um, and I loved it. And when the grant ended, my time was up there. I was sort of in like a limbo of what to do next. But when I when I left the classroom to go do that job, I always promised myself that I would return to the classroom. That I felt like that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be the one the one teacher or one of the few teachers who leaves the classroom and then comes back. Right. So many people take a track out of the classroom whether that be through administration or some other route. But for me, it was really important to return to the classroom. And um, after I left, uh, after the grant ended and I left FCR STEM, uh, I went and worked for a nonprofit here in Jacksonville called the Jacksonville Public Education Fund where we were supporting teacher leaders. Uh, And as Walter mentioned, during all of that time, I was uh, writing for Envision and uh, really going around the country talking to teachers about how I think math education could go and what I've learned about being a math educator. Um, and I kind of felt like uh, this person who was like a sportscaster talking about the game 
but I really just wanted to go play the game, right? Like I was talking about teaching all day long and writing about teaching and helping teachers think about the pedagogy that they use, but I just wanted to go teach. And so um, I decided to return to the classroom and uh, I found this amazing little school called the Discovery School in Jacksonville Beach. We have kids from 18 months through eighth grade. Uh, and I'm currently teaching a multi-age classroom of third and fourth graders. Um, and when those students uh, go off to their enrichments or, you know, their uh, specials, resources, whatever you might call them, uh, I go teach seventh grade math as well. So I teach third and fourth graders and seventh graders, uh, and I have the greatest job in the world. I love it so much. That's amazing, Zach. We at Savis are so lucky to work with someone like you whose passion for teaching and for math and for supporting students in their learning journey comes through loud and clear, which is one of the reasons we had you on our podcast today, because we want to talk to you and ask you in your expert opinion about summer school and summer learning, because summer can be a really tough time for kids and for teachers to keep kids going throughout the summer so they're set up for success going into the next school year. And now that schools are either closed or coming to a close, educators are turning their attention to summer school programs to help students who might need some extra support. And for those educators in charge of summer school programs, what would you recommend they focus on to help keep students engaged and learning while they have them over the summer? Yeah, this is a great question, Jill. Uh, and it's a tough one, right? Um, I have two main suggestions I want to offer here today. One, uh, make sure that the time you have with those kids is of high interest and that it's fun. I think, look, the most important thing we can do is to create a space or spaces where kids see themselves as math learners. So while it's going to be tempting, and trust me, I've been there, it's going to be tempting to try and cram as much as you can into the few weeks or the couple of months that you have those students. What I would encourage my colleagues to do is to first create a space where kids see themselves in the math classroom and they want to engage with the content. It's been my experience that if you don't spend that time at the forefront to try and build those relationships and get kids to see why the math matters, then no matter how hard you try or how much work you put in front of them, it just doesn't make a difference. So that means you got to do this second thing. And my second piece of advice is to focus on connection with and among the students in spite of the fact that they'll only be together for a short time. So while you may only have them for this small period of time, helping kids learn together is critical, right? Helping kids feel connected to something is critical. So I think of it as a time to like really try something that you might not get to do in the, the everyday classroom, right? What are some things you've always wanted to try to build connection and build community? Try that out in this small little space with this special group of kids that you get for this, this small period of time. And so for me, quite simply, if we want kids to be engaged in the content, they need to feel connected to something. And that connection might be you as the teacher, it might be their classmates, it might be the classroom, it might be the math or some combination of all of those, but connection is fundamental to content. And it's easy to look that over in the summertime because the time is so limited, but I think it's really just worth taking that time to do it at the forefront to make sure that the time you have is well spent. Uh, and I'll tell you something that uh, my granny used to tell me, and I like it uh, in, in this moment here. Uh, my granny used to say, uh, if, if, um, if you don't have time to do it right, then you must have time to do it twice. 
And I think that applies here, right? If you're not willing to get this right the first time, you're just going to keep doing it over and over and over again, right? So spend the time at the forefront, get to know those kids, build connections, build a space where they feel safe, then let the content come. Are there any activities that you can recommend that to build that connection between teacher and student? I recently was talking to another teacher about making connections and he is careful to sometimes establish that teacher student role first and then sort of introduce himself into the as a person you know talking about himself and what he likes to do that was his one of the things he felt was important to make connections but he also was really wanted to make sure that he established that role as teacher versus student first and I don't know how you feel about that but I guess my that was a really bad way of asking (laughs) what activities can you do to make those connections and are there any caveats to that? Yeah, I would say I was trying to respond to both things. One, to 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 the person who was talking about, you know, sort of building that relationship um, with kids as teacher student first and then sort of letting them in. I mean, I, I, I would say I totally agree with that with the one thing I would sort of tweak and maybe this is what they were saying as well. To me, it's like a both and rather than an either or. It's not like it has to be you only know me as a teacher and then you get to know me as, you know, someone who's learning with you because that's really important to me that my kids know that I'm learning with them. And I use that language all the time. I tell them it's an honor to learn with and from you, right? Like I'm here learning so much about who you are as a learner. So doing it at the same time, I think for me works well and for other people it might not, but like I do want them to see me as their teacher, but I also want them to know me as a human, right? Because then they feel that connection. Uh, As far as suggestions for things you could do in the classroom, I'll give two. Um, And then there are lots more um, that I'd be happy to follow up on if folks want to reach out on Twitter or or whatever. But the first one I'd say is um, three-act math tasks. You find them in Envision. You can find them on the web. I think three-act math tasks are a great way to get kids connected to the content in a real-world sort of uh, situation that that is sort of what I would call like a non-routine math problem, right? Again, I know it's really tempting to put a bunch of problems in front of the kids in the summer so they can get a lot of practice in there and make up for all this whatever lost time that we're we're, we're also concerned about. But the reality is I'd rather give them a really rich problem and spend 45 minutes on that and sort of squeezing all the math I can out of that with them. And three-act math tasks are really good for that. And then the other thing I'd say since your time is so limited uh, in these classrooms is to use some routines, build some quick routines, maybe ones very familiar with a lot of kids are familiar with number talks or which one doesn't belong, things like that, that um, once kids know the routine, you can get right into the content, right? So the whole, pur- the whole purpose of a routine is so that kids don't have to use their cognitive load to think about what what's the teacher going to do next, right? I, I know that in a number talk, we do these three things, whatever whatever a teacher's routine is with it, and they don't have to worry about that anymore. They can focus just on the content. So I'd say routines, uh, whichever ones you love, and then I would say three-act math tasks. Great advice. Thank you for that. I especially love the emphasis on students being engaged in the content and they need to feel connected to something. And um, But my next question is about family engagement. So as we know, when families are involved in their children's learning, they have a much better chance of success academically. How would you suggest educators get families to engage their children in learning experience over the summer? And that goes for families who have kids in summer school and those who don't. What tips would you recommend teachers give to parents and caregivers to help keep math learning going while also making it joyful and productive this summer? Yeah, this is the the toughest question I get every year as a teacher. Summer is coming up. Parents say, what can we do this summer? Like, what are some things I can do to keep them involved in in math? 
And, you know, um, I think you said it, Jill, um, it, it, the two things that matter are that whatever the work you're doing with them is that it's joyful and that it's productive. To me, that's the key. The number one thing I tell my families is that if it becomes not joyful or not productive, it's not worth it, period. Because what happens is the kids are frustrated with the math, the parents are frustrated with the kids, and you have a recipe for just a really not productive situation. So uh, now I do want to acknowledge, especially for all of the educators that are listening right now, we know how important productive struggle is, right? We understand the research and literature supports the fact that we want kids to get to that line where something is challenging and they're struggling through it because that's when they're you know, brain cells are firing and they're learning all these new things. And there's a point um, when productive struggle becomes unproductive, right? It's a really fine line for some kids, right? And I don't mean to like, I'm not discounting parents on this, but that's like a really nuanced thing that teachers spend decades studying and thinking about, like how do kids, how do we keep kids in that zone, right? And it's harder, I think, sometimes for parents to see when a kid tips to that unproductive struggle, right? When they get to that point. So I always tell my parents, when you see something not being joyful, when you see a kid so frustrated that there's tears, that's when it's time to walk away. That's when it's time to find something else to do. So no matter what you choose to do with them, whether it be workbooks or math walks or all of that, I'm gonna give a couple other suggestions here too. Make sure that it's joyful. And when it's joyful, it will be productive, right? So I always encourage parents to help their kids find math in their world. So start with the easy stuff, right? Cooking, time, counting. So when you're cooking, talking about fractions with them. When you're on a road trip and you're driving, Talk about time, how, how long it's going to take us, how much longer we have to go. If we go this speed, how, how long does it take us to get there? Uh, for young kids, counting, right? Count everything. You're counting the chairs. You're counting the couch cushions. You're, you're, we got four people in our family and two friends are coming over for dinner tonight. How many people, how many place settings do we need, right? All that stuff is the math that kids can can do. And that it's easy, I think, for parents to sort of like latch onto, right? But from there, get more creative, right? Take them on a math walk. Look for shapes in nature, I always tell parents, don't worry about it if you don't know the name of the shape. Let the kids use their language to describe what the shapes are and what they see, right? For older kids, look for data displays in newspapers or online um, and uh, just present them to kids and ask them open-ended questions. Like, what do you notice and what do you wonder about this graph, right? Um, those are really low-hanging fruit for parents because you don't have to know the answer to those questions. Your kid might notice something and your kids might wonder something you've never even thought about. Uh, but the most important thing is that families and their children are having fun right? Um, if you want to go the games route, if you like games, I love everything that Math for Love is doing. Um, they have lots of really great mathy board games there. Um, there are some other ones out there, called one called Multi that I love, uh, Prime Climb, Tiny Polka Dots. Uh, there's a new game that I haven't actually played yet, but I'm really looking forward to called Numeroso. It's another board game, card game that kids can play that are mathy. Uh, there's also a really lovely book called Table Talk Math that John Stevens wrote um, that gives families ideas on how they can create really mathy spaces more naturally for kids uh, in their house and kind of some of those things that I'm talking about right now that you might want to ask kids about. Um, but ultimately, like if you're, if, if you want practice, like if you want kids in a workbook and practicing, my advice to parents is to keep it brief, right? 15 minutes a day. They really shouldn't be doing anything more than that in the summer. And again, if they ever become frustrated beyond a reasonable doubt, stop the work. It's just not worth it. Um, but if they're finding joy in it, and a lot of kids do find joy in sort of practice books that they feel successful with, um, I say let them roll with it. Yeah, those are some great ideas. I'm taking them in myself as a parent who's, you know, wants to keep their child learning over the summer and thinking about 
thinking mathematically and keep that going. So those are great. So going into the summer, educators, you know, you're at the end of the year and you're thinking about summer, but a lot of educators are planning for the next year. And while they're planning the summer for instruction for next year, what are some trends maybe that you've noticed in the world of mathematics that you think educators should keep their eye out for and think about incorporating into their own instruction? Yeah, that's another good question. I, I'm um, I'm really currently fascinated right now with the idea of why routines have taken such a big focus in the math classroom. Everyone's talking about math routines, right? Um, and I did a lot of work thinking about like, well, what is it about routines that that really made them such in fashion right now? And so um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I encourage um, teachers right now to do a little bit of research on math routines, whether they're number talks or which one doesn't belong. Or I mean, I even argue a three-act math task is a routine, right? Um, what do you notice? What do you wonder? These are all routines you can do that generally take a short amount of time in the classroom. Um, and there's a lot of really interesting stuff coming out in that lane that I think is, again, to use the metaphor of low-hanging fruit, right? It's something that like teachers can grab and try the first day back when they get, and then they can kind of keep doing it and see how they get better. Um, I think a real focus on students and student thinking has come sort of in the last, like, I'd say in the last like three decades, about as long as I've been in this work, um, we've seen this sort of trend um, toward, you know, what was called problem solving for a while. And then what we call what we're sort of thinking about like uh, student thinking and student understanding and how kids are thinking about the math. And I think if you look at that trend overall, it's been an upward trend toward focusing on the student, right? Focusing on how the student is thinking about the math. Um, and there's bumps in there, right? There's been there's been times where we've been a little bit further away from that and further toward it. And sort of we found our way in a space where I think right now what you really see is a true focus on kids and a true focus on how kids are thinking about the math. And that's like a lifelong pursuit for me to think about, to learn about how kids are thinking about math and how they're responding to the ideas, how the language that they're using. So, um, you know, thinking about um, listening and um, how we get kids talking in the classroom. I think there's a real trend toward really focusing on that right now. And that makes me really happy because I think it's a really great space. Wonderful. I mean, I I know that I like a routine. <laughs> I know yeah. that my son likes a routine and um, and it does take the pressure off of, you know, the unknown and, you know, that can and sort of feeling like you're on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. And if I can I'll, I'll add one more thing to that, I always talk when I talk to teachers about why routines are so helpful for kids, I, I just tell them to think about their first year teaching. Um, right. And and if you can, if if you're listening and you can go back to that first year right now, if you were like me, you probably have a lot of regrets, a lot of things you do differently. Uh, and I'd make the argument that one of the reasons why we were not at our best in our first year teaching was that we were so focused on things like where's the lunchroom? How do I line kids up? What's a fire drill? Like, where do I park? Where's the teacher's lounge? All of these things that matter to an employee, right? They, they're, you need to know those things, but you're spending a lot of cognitive load on like, how long is this lesson going to take? And if I have five extra minutes, what am I going to do with those five minutes? And And all of that is what I would call the routine of teaching. And after a few years, when all that's down and you're not thinking about that, you're not using your cognitive load to worry about 
you know, when you get to go to the bathroom, right? You just sort of know when your window is. Um, when you're not worried about that, you can focus on the the content that you want to teach. I think the same holds true for kids. When kids know what the math teacher is going to do, when they know, oh, in a notice wonder, Mr. Zach is going to um, show us an image and he's going to ask us his favorite two questions in math class. What do you notice and what do you wonder? And then I'm going to have one minute of quiet think time. I'm going to have two minutes of turn and talk time. And that's how I do it. My kids know that. So when the picture comes up, they're not thinking, what do I do next? What's the next thing I have to do? They're thinking, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I can focus on the content right now. I can focus on the math that matters as opposed to all of the other stuff that like bogs down our cognitive load. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, I think. And especially for kids with neurodiversities like my son, for example, he, you know, a routine is essential to his getting through any day. That routine is especially helpful. I have a number of kids who are neurodiverse and on the spectrum in my classroom and like that routine is especially helpful for them, but it's not like I'm doing it for them. It's for everybody, right? So everyone's getting the same experience and it's not like we're doing this thing, which which at times we want to do things that every individual kid needs, but this is one that like everyone benefits from and it's just, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Very important point. I like that a lot. That makes my heart feel good to have like to know that that that's happening in a classroom. So, um, last question. Um, we need to know. So, over the summer, to some teachers are going to keep their own learning going, whether or not they're in school or not. And I think it's a great time to to do that. So, what are some summer reading, professional development, professional learning books that you can suggest educators pick up? for some reading over the summer. All right. I think I have seven or eight things here. And this is narrated, you know, not narrated, sort of curated down from a whole lot more. So forgive me if this is too much, but uh, I, I, I love this question. And I have so many things I want to share that have informed my teaching and I hope will inform yours um, as well. So if you're a primary grades teacher, the number one thing I think you need to read this summer is a book called Mathematizing Children's Literature by Allison Hintz and Anthony Smith. Um, it, it changed the game for me as a primary educator when I think about how um, you know, the, basically the pitch of this book is like, there's a lot of mathy kids books out there, um, but they sort of focus on the math and they don't have um, a really strong literature connection to them. And so what Allison and Anthony talk about doing is taking a really good piece of children's literature and looking for math in it. And it is a, be- it's a beautiful framework for how you can do that. So please, please read that. Another primary grades book I love is Beyond Answers by Mike Flynn. He's a good friend and colleague who's who's helping us understand um, how we can not focus on answer getting so much and about how kids think about ideas and that the, the sort of stuff I was talking about earlier. Uh, if you love math and thinking about the beauty of math, I hope you'll read Chasing Rabbits by Sunil Singh. A really cool book there. There's another lovely book by um, Pam Sita and Kendall Brown called Choosing to See, which lives kind of in the equity and the math equity lane. Um, but I think it's good for anyone who wants to think deeply about math and how kids learn. Uh, come to know math. Uh, if you don't want to commit to a full book, uh, I'd encourage you to check out My Mathematical Mind. It's a website that Deborah Peart uh, runs, um, who's thinking a lot about um, how how young people come to see themselves as a mather, as she likes to call it. Um, so check that out. If you want to watch something, uh, NCTM has a nice free webinar that Dr. Barry gave called Black Boy Joy in Mathematics, uh, elevating the, the voices of black boys and men. You can search that and find it on NCTM's website. And if you really just want to listen to something, if you're driving a lot and you're a podcast person, uh, the Debate Math Pod, hosted by Chris Lesniak and Rob Baer, is a really fun one. Um, they're, they're debating math ideas, everything like the definition of a trapezoid, which was the episode I was on, um, to like 
should you use pen or pencil in math class, right? Like these really like things that thing uh, things that seem might, might seem trivial to really important big things like calculus should it be required for kids? So that's a fun one to listen to. Those are great ideas. I, um, I'm familiar with some of those folks, and they're all amazing educators and uh, really dynamic. And so those are great ideas. I think those would be great on anybody's bookshelf or in their headphones or in their earbuds. (laughs) Well, this has been such a wonderful conversation, Zach. I know our listeners appreciate all the ideas and tips so they can continue refining their teaching craft and make learning math over the summer a joyful experience for their students. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you all for having me. It's very cool to be here. And I hope everyone has an amazing summer. Uh, and uh, we'll get back to doing this thing we love in just a few months. Yeah, you too. And I hope you you have a well-deserved, restful, fun summer. Back to you, Walter. That's all the time we have for today. Many thanks to all of our guests for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast. Until next time. This Moving Learning Forward series is presented by Savas Learning Company, a next-generation learning company providing award-winning solutions for grades pre-K through 12. We encourage you to visit savvis.com backslash mathematics today to request pre-K through 12 curriculum samples for your school or district. And you can keep the conversation going by following us on social media at Savvis Learning with hashtag moving learning forward.